Hi everyone, my name is Sian Tekle, and I'm here with Noemi Durand and Sarah DeVellis, and we will be discussing COVID-19 and how it impacts the upcoming school year and students nationwide. Hi guys, so um, I want to start by asking you guys, like, how has COVID affected you and your school life? Um, I know personally, I really, really dislike distance learning. I know that I struggle more now than I did in person just because it's hard to stay focused. It's hard to stay on track. But I'm more fortunate than other students who have to deal with a lot at home. Sarah, I know that you you're an adult, right? So you have a different look on this. How has this impacted you, the quarantine? I think I'm an adult-ish, but um, I'm just no longer a student at this point, so I am working fully remotely as well. And I agree, I have a much harder time staying focused at work. I think at home there are other distractions, and it's really hard to stay motivated for um, the work that you're doing when you're not around people that make the experience um, better and help you feel more engaged and provide that necessary interaction so you're just doing you know not the not fun parts of work but the parts that can feel most frustrating when you're not around other people and can make collaboration a lot harder and so much of the good work that's done comes from people being able to interact and being able to um, create new ideas together and I think that um, innovation can be lost a bit and it's also just really tiring i'm exhausted all the time having to really like be more diligent about scheduling meetings and not being able to as easily you know check something with someone it's it's not as motivating yeah i completely agree with that and i like that you brought in motivating um i think other people also really help with that i think Mm -hmm. other other people really help motivate you and like give you a reason to work, I guess. And so now that I've been at home all the time, I'm finding it really hard to keep myself motivated and keep myself doing things like on time and like on schedule. Um, Like when I have asynchronous classes, I usually just like watch Netflix or something and then leave the work for the rest for the end of the day. While if I was at school, then I'd actually have to do it during that time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I completely agree with you on the focusing thing. I went on Wednesday to take the PSAT and that was at school. And I found myself like much better able to actually focus at school. Like I was able to focus for the first time in a long time. And I was able to just sit down and do it because everyone around me was doing the same thing. And so Mm -hmm. I just, I found that that was like really interesting because it was a really stark comparison between Tuesday and Wednesday and then Thursday when I came back home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, Noemi. I remember when I took the PSA to AT too, I was like, I, I realized the difference between how much I was, like you said, focused and attentive to my work versus how I am at home. And I think... Um, a really big part of that is, like you said, being around other people who are focused on the same thing and have a shared goal of getting this thing done right. And also you're in a controlled environment that is wholeheartedly dedicated to getting that task done. At home, you can you can get up and just walk away. You know what I mean? You can go sit on your phone. Like you said, you can go right on Netflix. Nothing is really stopping you besides, I guess, discipline. And I feel like right now... It's just so difficult because all the day, every day is so monotonous. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And the work is so repetitive. And um, it's like, I just, I wonder how those who have younger siblings, like Noemi, you have two younger siblings at home, right? How does that impact um, your day? Um. So yeah, I do. I have a five-year-old brother and a two-year-old sister. I'm lucky enough to have a room in the attic actually and I have um one stay-at-home parent um and one parent who's actually a doctor so she goes out and works but then we also have a babysitter because my dad still wants to work when he's at home so anyways I'm lucky enough to have a lot of adults around me who are able to take care of my siblings and so I don't have to um So, and since my room is in the attic, I'm like kind of separated from that. So even if they're crying or something, like I can still hear it, but it's not as loud. 
So I think I'm really lucky in those ways. And um, it's, and honestly, I kind of enjoy having little siblings during this time because since I'm here all the time, I can really see them grow. Like my little brother, he read a book at dinner a few days ago and like I had really seen his progressing, his progression um, while he was learning to read. And I just like, I love seeing that, you know, and that's part of why I don't want to go too far away for college because I want to be near my siblings to see them grow. But um, yeah, so just in general, I really enjoy having siblings, but I think a lot of families aren't as lucky as mine. And um, a lot of families have little siblings and I can completely like understand how families who don't have as many adults around the house to help, how having little siblings could really impact someone's school life without being able to like focus or without with having to take care of them and that kind of stuff. Mm, yeah. So, um, Sarah, are you comfortable sort of talking about work and how doing work remotely versus doing work in person, like the difference between the two and the pros and cons of the two? Yeah, of course. Um, at the beginning of um, remote work, I think there was a sense of novelty to it. And it was kind of cool. I got to hang out in my sweatpants and I didn't have to commute. And I could talk to my roommates during the day. And, you know, if I wasn't busy, for example, I didn't have to you know, totally pretend I was busy. I could do laundry or like go for a walk. And um, there were some restrictions that be about being in the office that were lifted being at home. And I think at the beginning that was nice. And I think also still now there is a nice flexibility that you can have in your schedule. Like if you need to go to the grocery store in the middle of the day or something like that, you know, it, there's less constraints compared to being in the office, you have more, a little more flexibility in your schedule and getting the work done. If, you know, you have nothing pressing to do that day or during a certain period of time or have meetings, but I think also not getting to know coworkers and not getting to understand people's working styles in person is a challenge. And I think not being able to develop that trust as easily over a screen, I think it impedes kind of the creativity that can come with work or working in groups as well as some of that collaboration because there is a more um, base level sense of camaraderie versus you know a deepened sense that can come from interacting with people in person and getting to know them and having those organic conversations just outside of the you know, deliverable or product work that you're doing. You can also, you know, more easily find out about what people are doing on the weekend, um, their likes or dislikes, families, um, where they went to school, things that they're passionate about, um, which can be harder when you're not talking all the time over um, just a person. And like scheduling Zoom, I know at work we do Zoom happy hours or game nights, but those can feel um, certainly contrived and I think it can feel more draining sometimes than um, life-giving when interacting with people because it's just not the same type of interaction. So um, it has, I think, detracted from a lot of people's experiences in any venue, student, working, whatever, and I think every way. Um, so it's nice to have a balance and a flexibility of being able to work from home. I think it really does work for some people. Um, and it's a good feature that hopefully, you know, as we kind of remake or rethink the, what the workplace looks like, you know, there'll be some of that flexibility pulled in because it really does benefit some people in certain situations. But I think, you know, having the option or the ability to go into an office to congregate with people, to see people, to like work in a coffee shop too, I think, you know, that is greatly missing. And that was a lot, so I will pause. No, that was great. That was really great. Noemi, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I just, I definitely agree. I think, like, there are definitely a lot of benefits to the working aspect of staying at home. Um, but then as soon as it comes to people, I think all of those benefits kind of go down the drain. Um, I 
personally don't think I see any benefit in working like apart from people um because I'm a people person I want interaction with people and so like when I went on the rare occasions that I do get to see my friends in person I find myself so much happier like so much less stressed all of that than when I'm just sitting at home staring at my computer screen all day you know because even if that computer screen is someone else it's still different than in person Mm, you guys made you and Sarah made really really good points about the importance of social interaction especially for us as people and I think that that need for being around others wasn't really as apparent as it is today because now that's something that was taken away from us now we're forced to sit in solitude and keep ourselves focused and keep ourselves entertained without being able to like check in on our neighbors, like Sarah said, and make a conversation mm-hmm. with someone in passing while getting work done to build that bond. Or like Noemi said, being around your friends and mm-hmm. having that that sort of like comfortability and familiarity with people that you know instead of being alone and the same thing over and over again. And you guys raised really, really good points about that. I, I think that um, even now, like, to be honest, I, I socially... I've I've changed. I've become much more, I guess, like reclusive and shy, even in public. When I go to the grocery store, I get really nervous because I don't want someone to talk to me. I don't want I don't want I just want to get my things and I want to go. And on the other hand, personally, I like to be at home by myself. So I prefer to be at home. I prefer to not have to go out. But when it comes to school, I think that now these two environments aren't aren't separated you know what I mean you could go to school and leave home problems at home and focus Mm -hmm. focus on schoolwork at school and not have that distraction but now because those two environments merged it's very easy to get sidetracked it's very easy to feel overwhelmed because now you have these two worlds colliding and you can't distinguish between the two and I think that is a challenge that I haven't really heard of much um from discussions about remote working or virtual learning. Do you guys think that um, during this time, as a society, we'll be able to come out of it the same or differently? I think we'll come out very differently. Um, I think, well, okay, first of all, to your point of like separating between home and work, um, there's like that physical separation. So like, you know, if you have parents who fight all the time or something like that then like obviously that's gonna be a huge distraction but then there's also mentally when you go to a different place your brain goes your brain also goes to a different place and like your brain associates different feelings and like different actions with different places and so when you're going to school that's telling your brain okay now is the time to focus and to work and so I think that that's also a huge part of that separation that we're now lacking. Um, But then going to your point of like the society changing, I know I as a person have definitely changed a lot over these past few months, almost a year. Um, And I think society is never gonna be the same, notably with like restaurants, movie theaters, that kind of stuff. That's never gonna go back to how it was before. and I'm not sure how those businesses are going to survive, honestly. Like, I know a lot of them have made it this far, but a lot of them have also closed down. And I think that's not going to stop anytime soon. Mm, yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, I do, from like the corporate aspect of things, I don't know how people are going to recover. Like, small business owners, especially those who would open their businesses right before quarantine hit yeah that's that's heartbreaking honestly to think about because they poured their entire lives into this just for it to get taken away from them during the pandemic and that's unfortunate I think that like even on an individual basis hygiene is going to be carried out so so much more differently people are going to be much more vigilant about where they cough where they sneeze you know where they even something like like hand sanitizers and tissues they're going to be looked at with greater importance and I feel like even now like just watching how people are like you can cough around someone or sneeze and you're not going to get a bless you you're going to get a backup you're going to get a backup out of my face yeah I want to see how people transition from that back into that like 
sort of accepting and like nurturing state because I think before when you'd see your friend or someone you cared about and like like when they're sick or ill you like have this instinct to want to be there for them and take care of them but I feel like now you're gonna have this this sort of combating feeling where it's like I want to stay away from them because instinctually sickness is associated with the worst time of my life because I had to be isolated from everyone Sarah do you um do you feel like um socially in dc has it been easier or harder for you like outside of work to be able to branch out and make new friends and get much more accustomed to the city i think it's a lot harder for sure um there are so fewer opportunities i mean to safely see people in person i think you know things that i would be really interested in doing like joining you know uh, women's soccer league in the city or even like see on the um, volunteering that we do together I think would be would just look so different if we were a person together and I think you know again could nurture relationships not just on screen but also in person and you know bring a different element to what that relationships relationship looks like that right now because of the pandemic and just because it's, you know, really unsafe to see, be seeing a lot of people in close proximity and, you know, people outside of your pod, it, it has made it a lot more challenging to meet other people safely. You know, meeting people on Zoom is cool and it's nice to, you know, interact with different folks, but maintaining those relationships and sustaining them, I think is a lot more challenging when you're not, in person. Yeah, I met a lot of people over Instagram, but I, I don't know, like my social energies, it just gets so drained yeah. so much easier nowadays that like, even though when my social energy was really high, I met a whole bunch of people. I don't talk to any of them anymore. Mm, that's a really good, you too. I like, I'm noticing like, like the constant theme of like, lacking that like I like you guys had said earlier social interaction is playing a really really large role mm -hmm. into this and like I hadn't even I hadn't even noticed how important that was until like now you guys are telling me how much um it's impacted you and how right. it's had a really really large impact on how you've been these past few months like Noemi said over almost a year um I don't know I just think that right now it's the most difficult time of our lives i mean hopefully this is the most difficult i, I it can't get any worse but um i think this is also like a really big learning experience because we're learning how to live in almost like complete solitude you know mm -hmm. i know mentally uh, which is like a really really key point in all this that i really want to talk about um i've had to confront a lot more than i would have you know, I don't have that distraction of school or after school activities or visiting family and friends to get my mind off of things. Now I have to sit here and like look at behaviors of mine that I think I need to change because I'm here by myself. I have nothing but time or I need to look at, um, you know, past experiences that have shaped me and pull out learning, learning like values from those so I can grow. It's just been like it's been a period of both growth stagnation and like at the same time like de devolution if that's a word like when you go back like regression there you go yeah. i don't know it's just it's like a paradox yeah i yeah there's definitely been a lot of like inner reflection um mm -hmm. and just like a lot of thinking about myself thinking about the people that I used to surround myself with um, and thinking about the people that I surround myself with now and like why that's changed, I guess. And I think that's definitely helped me grow um, as a person. But yeah, I think just like having to sit with yourself has had a huge impact on that. Yeah, Sarah, do you feel any kind of way towards like this? Yeah, I don't think we're meant to be solitary. I think just in the makeup of the human species, we're 
not meant, I think, to be solitary um, beings. There is a need, there's a craving for that community. And, you know, it's served a purpose in the past um, and was essential to survival. And I think that is built into our DNA. And, you know, like, it's really challenging to cope when that's taken away from you. And I know, Sianja, something you said earlier was you didn't realize how much you needed that social interaction. I think it's not something we've ever had to contemplate before. Like, it's always been a given, you know, you'll see people and you'll be around people and, you know, you can feel lonely and even around a lot of people. But I think this experience we've all had of being more alone is so far outside of what anyone you know alive today truly has you know experienced so and there's no answers there's no um there's no anything to draw back on for um advice or for a guide and how we should deal with this we're all learning together and i think that's also really hard there's nothing to hold on to or it's you know now you know the vaccine has been developed it's been it's rolling out people are getting vaccinated we're you know looking towards a time where we can return to elements of our lives that we you know miss and enjoyed before but i think you know thinking back on the last year there was so many instances where there didn't feel like there was any direction or guide and that I think was really hard is not having anyone that could provide a clarity on how we should be dealing with this because no one knows it's really hard to be learning to like building the plane and then flying it at the same time. Right yeah we took a lot of aspects of our past lives just or I said that in a weird way (laughs) not like spiritually like our lives Mm -hmm. before COVID um we just took those things for granted and now i'll watch movies where people are like maskless next to each other and i'll be like whoa guys calm down that's not safe what are you doing in my dreams that happens as well like wow yeah like same knowing me i noticed the same thing i like watch a film i have to like check when it was made so that i'm like mentally like reassuring myself that they're not contributing to the pandemic Mm -hmm. yeah i think this is like this is just a really crazy time for everyone i like it's it's so unfortunate just because it's not just virus isolated there are so many other factors playing a role in this like you know financial situation living situation education you know what I mean? There's so many things that contribute to how intense this can be for everyone, like especially individually. Not everyone's experience is going to be the same. And like you said, Sarah, relating that back to learning as you go, it's like it's so hard. It's so difficult, especially when you can't do that in a controlled setting like school where we were like sort of made to teach ourselves in a sense. Even when we're in the building, mm-hmm. we're like given labs and stuff where we read instructions and we go along. But this is like like an alien, like just warped yeah. version of that mm-hmm. yeah. yeah you said that like you had to go back and check what time it, w- it was made to make sure that they weren't contributing to the pandemic um i'm not sure why but and this is kind of off topic but kind of completely off topic but um that reminded me of cancel culture which mm. i feel has been really just amplified by the pandemic because everyone's home no one has anything else to do and they just want to stir up drama wherever they can and um and one of the ways that they do that is through cancel culture which is like for example people who go out without masks or like without being safe they will be canceled or like influencers who make even the slightest mistakes will be canceled and i think um i don't know i think there are like various opinions on this and it's like kind of a controversial thing in itself um but i i don't know i feel like sometimes it goes a bit too far and it's a bit ridiculous and it's just like the only reason that we do it is to start drama and it's not actually fixing anything what do you guys think i wonder is it is it right to call it cancel culture or is you know 
more apt term accountability accountability culture because i think when folks are being called out on it's generally on social media or public forums it's not you know anything that's done that's blameless for example people that are attending huge parties you know when 500,000 Americans have died from this disease I think it is important that there is an accountability aspect to ensuring that people who have a lot of influence and people who you know have the ability to stir public action or discourse you know have some accountability for their actions because they mean a lot and I think there's different ways to think about like, and there's, you know, some ways that are more impactful than others, you know, what is canceling, what is accountability, you know, what is a dialogue versus just um, an absolute, you know, or like speaking in absolutes to people. So I think there are different levels and ways in which people can engage. But I think, you know, the idea of accountability culture has been really important. And I think, you know, it's, driven a shift in the conversations and the actions and you know that we've had around for example racial justice in this country I think you know it's come more into the forefront of our daily lives you know as it has not been in the past you know which is regrettable and like a, a whole um shame unto itself just like as a nation for us so i think you know people who are now getting called out or getting held accountable for racist actions or sports teams for example for racist um, mascots i think that is really important in driving that action so i think you know and you're right i think there are times when you know canceling someone outright without you know seeking to have a conversation seeking to have you know an opportunity for redemption can feel really isolating and, you know, doesn't encourage people to want to engage in changing behavior, just, you know, remove themselves completely. But I think it is important that we continue to hold people accountable because we've seen change and we need to see more change. I think it's really important, but, you know, there has been outcomes from having people be held accountable and that was a long tangent um but i think there's a lot of nuance right to the perceptions around cancel culture yeah i definitely think that accountability is important i think but i do think that what you were calling accountability culture is different than cancel culture i think cancel culture takes it to another extreme at least the way that i define it it would take it to another extreme where they would cancel where they would like completely ruin someone's career over one small mistake that they that they made or that they said Mm -hmm. like a while ago you know or even just like I mean celebrities are humans too you know sometimes they'll be on an Instagram live and slip up and say something weird you know and Mm -hmm. like then they'll just be ruthlessly shamed for it without having without anyone accepting their explanation when they do explain it what's an example of a like a cancel situation that you've seen that you felt um was disproportionate to the action um so the one that i was thinking of when i said the instagram live um i forgot her name i think she was in high school musical it was an actress and she said something about um about like she said something about covid and about people dying during covid and it was like it was really weird and kind of insensitive um but she like right after she said it she very clearly regretted it but people still like that video went pretty much viral and people Mm -hmm. were like why would she say this she's so insensitive all that kind of stuff when like clearly it was just a slip up you know um so that's what i was thinking of and then Another thing, me and Sion listened to this podcast for our English language class um, with Aunt Jemima and like the, the yeah, and like I completely agree that that needed to be changed. Um, mm-hmm. But one, one of the things that the podcast brought up is that them just erasing that and coming up with a new name was not the best solution for that because they're acting as if it never happened when it did happen and they need to start that conversation around that and like have a conversation about 
the history of it and why it happened that way and why it's wrong, why they're now changing it instead yeah. of changing it because everyone else is changing it. Yeah. So I think like contextualizing and understanding why the change needs to be made rather than just doing it and swept in the rising tide. And I think that's a good point too, because I think you certainly see a lot of virtue signaling from like people within our f- networks of friends and family and like people we work with or go to school with um, and companies as well, just, you know, needing to get on the bandwagon of anti-racism because, you know, it's virtuous and it like societally necessary to do so rather than like fully embracing, you know, the tenets and the merits of like, all right, if we're going to be an anti-racist organization, what does that mean? Right. Um, So I think that's a good point. And, you know, like, are you doing it just because you have to, you know, in terms of like your company's position or are you understanding like why this is wrong and really like owning that and explaining it? I think that's uh, an important nuance to think through too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think like you guys brought up really good points about how even now, like, change has to be intentional, like you said, Sarah, and it can't be because you're following a trend or wanting mm-hmm. to, you know, be a part of what everyone else is doing. And, Noem, you brought, up a, you brought up a really good point about how cancel culture can sometimes be taken to lengths that are a bit unreasonable, I guess. And, mm-hmm. um, like, I, I agree with you in that I think cancel culture is a bit unreasonable, And Sarah, I think you brought up a really good point about how accountability culture would be like sort of a reformed version of that where positive change can actually come about. Because this reminded me of how like there have been instances of celebrities, you know, saying racial slurs, right? It's, It's common. People go through their Twitter archives and they find these slurs from, you know, years ago. And a common excuse is that at the time it was acceptable i didn't know any better but you have to realize anything past like the 1980s everyone knew it was wrong yeah everyone knew it was wrong people are pulling even before that too honestly yeah even before that Mm -hmm. and it's like they're pulling tweets out from like 2012 they're pulling tweets from 2007 where some of these influencers are like middle schoolers And they're like, you know, I didn't know any better. This was common at the time. Internet culture was much more ruthless. And while that is the case, that same consideration should be taken when thinking about canceling someone. Just as it should be taken when thinking about what to post. You know what I mean? I think it's two sides of the same same coin. And um, one of the biggest, like, I guess, like, grievances I have towards cancel culture is the fact that it is so unfair and that people pick and choose who they want to cancel mm-hmm. and whose career they want to preserve. I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen some of the That's a good point too. Thank you. Yeah. I've seen some of the biggest celebrities like I'm not going to name names, but I've seen some of them continuously, you know, portray such racial behaviors and patterns of racism and time after time apologize. Guess what? They're still in the spotlight. Their products are still being purchased. But I'm saying, on the other hand, there are people whose entire careers have been completely demolished because while they did something or said something that was very inappropriate, they weren't extended that same like forgiveness or olive branch that other celebrities mm-hmm. have been. And I think because of the fact that it's like an internet regulated sort of um, like, I guess, theory, I guess, cancel culture is, right. then no one's really controlling who gets in trouble for what and to what extent they get punished. There's no, like, constitution for cancel culture. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with people naturally and also because of society being inclined to like attractive people more. And I found that, like, more more what society deems as attractive people um, who are celebrities who do bad things that would be worthy i guess of being canceled over um they get less of the repercussions than other celebrities would um and i just i find that so interesting and infuriating at the same time 
Yeah, just to reference the podcast that Noemi had mentioned about Aunt Jemima and sort of like Mm -hmm. rebranding that entire empire was, I think it was called Still Processing and it can be found on the New York Times website. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sarah, I feel like we've talked about this before. We've talked about um, another podcast too. Um, Code Switch. Code Switch. That was also another podcast we had to listen to. Both yeah. very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Do you guys have anything else you want to say about anything that we've spoken about? Anything that's pertinent to the podcast? Pertinent to the episode? No, I think you guys do bring up a really good point in that there's no objectivity to, you know, who gets canceled and who doesn't and who can find redemption and who can't. Um, if it is really just as an observer you know frustrating and you know simultaneously interesting to see different people who are able to redeem themselves and others who are not able to and you know in some cases like if it was not a sincere apology or a sincere um commitment to changing their behaviors and you know holding others around them accountable too i think you know that's different than someone who gives a half-hearted one but um yeah i don't know that it doesn't always feel like there's a science to it um yeah which brings up a big gray area of you know who isn't who has redemptive qualities and who doesn't what does that look like um i'm sure we'll see some research coming out about that too yeah I don't know. I think it'd be excellent for you guys even to focus on too. Cause like, I feel like even when I was young and like first using social media in high school, it just, it wasn't as, it wasn't as a phenomenon the way it is now. As in like, it wasn't as ingrained into your life. Yeah. It wasn't as ingrained. It like, wasn't, you know, I didn't understand, you know, like, I feel like we all understood, like, the term to cancel someone or understood it and, like, saw it applied at the same time I was just older than you guys were. So I guess it's, like, been less a part of my social, it's been part of my social media interactions for less percentage of the time, I guess, that I've been on social media than you guys are. Or maybe it hasn't been and we've been on for the same amount of time. I've just been older. Yeah, I think, like, you might be able to recognize it, uh, the toxicity of that and sort of, like, the ins and outs of internet use and internet safety, especially longer than we were able to, just because you obviously were a bit older than we were. Yeah, there also wasn't as much, like, known about the internet, I think, you know, so in some ways, I think you guys have more of a mastery of it than I do, Um, but, or even, like, our parents um, for example, uh, too. So it is like an interesting phenomenon, the fast pace at which like social media use has grown and changed and just different features of it in different applications that I just don't really understand or use anymore. Like I'm not on TikTok, for example, which I know a lot of people are on and really enjoy using. It's just, I think like, I'm like, I, you know, have whatever the social media I use is um and I you know it's not something I just added additionally to my um social media applications that I use um but it it, like it is interesting to see what the where people are attracted in terms of um, online platforms right and how it depends on age too yeah for sure um Zion, if you don't have anything to add to that, I remembered some one thing that I wanted to say about cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also wanted to say that I feel like cancel culture contributes to kind of feeling like you're walking on eggshells when talking about sensitive topics, such as, for example, racism um, or COVID or like anything that might affect someone in a bad way if you slip up or like say something or do something kind of weird or bad around it um even if it's on accident and i feel like that's one of the reasons why i'm so against cancel culture um is because 
then that's not letting us having those have those important discussions that I think are necessary to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's just one last point I want to bring up. That makes yeah, that makes a lot of sense as well. Yeah, even like I I totally understand what you're saying. I, I feel the exact same way. It's like, yeah. I mean, I don't have much of a presence on the internet. I have a little bit of a spam, <laughs> but <laughs> but. Even, like, when I'm talking about something with my friends or family and we're discussing a really, like, heavy topic, I feel like mentally I'm, like, sort of, um, I'm I'm filtering myself. Yeah, same. And I think that that, on one hand, can be really, really good because you are being considerate, but I don't think that should be applied to every single conversation you have. Because like you said, Dwayne, you need to have these difficult conversations to move forward. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like if you can't sit and acknowledge some of the things that have happened or things that will happen or are happening and you can't be completely candid and open about how those how you feel towards those things or your opinions toward those things because of some like innate fear that you're going to get completely trashed on the Internet. Then I think cancel culture is counter. It's counterproductive because, Mm -hmm. you know, like a similar theme throughout it is like promoting a really inviting and welcoming internet space i think that's the purpose of it but it's just been distorted since it's like elevation because it's been around for a long time but it hasn't it's like it sort of was like magnified once we came into the pandemic because like you said earlier that's all people are doing now just sitting on the internet scrolling through social media and um not being able to speak your heart about things it's just it's sort of like just creates a really like artificial and doctored conversation towards a lot of things because you don't know what you can or can't say yeah and that's also like I think that also applies to asking questions like for example there are um there are lots of Instagram and TikTok accounts that I've seen where the people are like everyone's welcome here like no matter your body size no matter your color no matter like whatever um except for republicans and trump supporters you know and then i feel like that kind of defeats the entire purpose like i understand that you disagree with them and that they can be hateful but then you're not allowing those who currently identify that way to learn more and to possibly change their views and be more accepting and I think that that's like kind of like you said kind of contradicting the rest of the movement of like wanting people to understand that it's okay to be however you are um and that like everyone should be accepting of everyone else yeah there's this false sense of inclusivity almost because right people just generally preach about being accepting and non-judgmental and I think that, you know, to your example, when it comes to, I guess, like Trump supporters and um, other like groups that you don't, I guess, agree with, it can be really, really harsh at the same time. Personally, um, I know that I disagree with a lot of political views that are shared among Trump supporters, but I don't I don't want it to make it my place to make anyone feel exiled from the internet because it really is not my place. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And it's so interesting too. I think like when you have accounts that are, you know, welcoming to a ho- people with the host of different identities, um, but not inclusive of, the, to use your example, no, I mean, um, like Republicans or Trump supporters, I think, you know, it can be challenge, like it can be really challenging to advance a conversation of um, understanding each other's views and trying to um, help people understand, you know, where you're coming from or why you might feel the way that you feel. But I think, you know, if you're going to be having, I guess, a conversation with someone, you know, in a space that. Um, for example, is like 
owned by a Latinx Instagrammer or like account that's owned by Latinx um, person, then I think like inviting people that vehemently like disregard or don't believe in their identity um, onto into the, their space can be really um, yeah it's really dangerous you know what I mean so I think like there are spaces that should and need to be protected um and I think like there are other spaces where it's more appropriate and there are other like you know forums that are more appropriate for other people to engage there I think you know but like having those protected spaces and like reserving them for people who have similar beliefs to you know engage in solidarity together and to um like have those like spaces i think is important too and like every conversation can feel safe for everybody if like you're engaging with a group of people that are like vehemently against part or like don't respect or like parts of your identity yeah, definitely. I do think there are limits. I just think that like there are Republicans and Trump supporters where there's no way they're ever going to change their opinion and it's not even worth talking to them. But then the, there are also those who just grew up in that environment and therefore identify as that. But like there's they still like some of them don't even know why they believe what they believe. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that if they just opened conversation with some people like us who understand why it's not okay to hate on people, um, I think that like that could actually be really, really beneficial. Mm-hmm. So Noemi, you're like you're like sort of advocating for like the educational aspect of it and being able to grow as a person, while Sarah, you're like sort of speaking from like preserving someone's peace and making sure that they don't feel like they're being like invaded or attacked by someone else who might not necessarily respect them or their or the things that they identify with yeah I think too just like you know it can be like really exhausting having conversations too where like you have to defend your identity essentially to people who aren't respectful of that or don't want to celebrate different parts of your identity I think like there are points where people who like for example like parts of your identity and having those discussions and educating people is not so on the line and not so like at the forefront of your that conversation where like different people can step up and step in and like you know have those harder conversations too so I think you know there is a a community-wide effort that needs to happen and you know having people of um, all different identities come together to advance you know equity and inclusion you know for everybody and not just have that work fall on you know a select few yeah I think disrespect would probably be like the limit that I mentioned mm-hmm. um I think like as long as those people are respectful and mm-hmm. are asking questions because they yeah. want to know I think that's okay and that's where I disagree with them being excluded but um yeah I think as soon as they get disrespectful like yeah they- <laughs> mm-hmm yeah I agree I think like it's just I don't know like I think cancel culture was just an attempt at what you mentioned Sarah like an attempt to create a space where everyone can sort of share their opinions and their ideals without fear of judgment or Mm -hmm. um like invalidation but then it sort of it became sort of like a weapon because it became like a popularity contest yeah and it's like Mm -hmm. you know there there are those who might not necessarily um agree with you on like Mm -hmm. stances about human rights or political ideologies 
and I think that once everything like took a left there was a strict right and a strict wrong and I don't think human rights are something that aren't up for debate you know what I mean you can't be right you can't be wrong they just are but when people begin to sort of muddy the lines between okay well this is political and this is what impacts people or this is what what is sort of like a rights-based argument then I think like as as like a group we all become a little bit like uh should we allow them to say that should we call them out Mm -hmm. on it and I think like on top of that the largest like the demographic that comprises almost all if not all of cancel culture are I mean kids in our generation right gen z which are like teens to early adults and I think that that age plays a really big role in knowing and maturity, like knowing what's okay to say, knowing what's not okay to say. Because to be honest, we're young ourselves. We were exposed to a lot because of the internet, because we grew up in the digital age, but um, we're not all knowing. And I don't think it's anyone's place, especially not, I mean, me, a 16 year old girl to be telling someone, you should not be here. This is not a place for you because the internet doesn't really have mm-hmm. rules. You can find anything there. You can find some of the craziest, most like wildest stuff on the internet. And so yeah. making it making it someone's job or making it your own job to tell someone that they shouldn't be able to um even exist or have like a like a like um an account. It's I don't know. I think mm-hmm. now you begin to like I mentioned earlier like counteract the purpose of of cancel culture and combat that sort of inclusivity that was originally trying to be achieved Mm -hmm. all right we're approaching an hour we're at 51 minutes do you guys want to keep going or are you guys ready to i don't have anything else to say Sarah, do you have yeah, I thought this was a great discussion. Mm-hmm. You guys have been teaching me a lot, um, and I think you both have really great perspectives. So, thank you. I've really enjoyed listening. Thank you for coming. I'm so glad you got to do this. Oh, wow, this is great. It's super interesting. I think at the end of the day, you know, this is all super complicated, and we're all, you know, learning together. I think and trying to become versions of ourselves that we're most proud of so you know i think any way that you know as people want to do that i think you know there is a a space for that and a space for always those conversations so i thought this is great yeah for sure all righty well this was this was nice it was nice speaking to you guys 